0: Are news: Faith Talk 570 WTBN, Pinellas Park, and 910 WTWD, Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: The righteousness of God is the sum total of all that God commands, demands, and approves, and Himself provides. It is that righteousness that we don't have. It is what God requires for a man or woman to stand before Him for all of eternity. That is the righteousness of God, being right with God, conformity to what God has said. And the question is, how can God do it? That's the subject of the verses before us as the truths about God's righteousness are unfolded. So let's look at it. We will look at
2: those pivotal verses in just a few seconds. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For several weeks, Pastor Steve has described Paul's case in the first three chapters of Romans against mankind's claim to goodness. Verses 21 through 31 of Romans chapter 3 are the turning point of the book, and that is where we find ourselves today. The Apostle Paul has clearly proven that there is no way that our own efforts will ever meet God's requirements for entering heaven. But God Himself has provided for us what He requires. Pastor Steve has a lot of ground to cover today, so let's get started.
1: Romans chapter 3, as we continue in our ongoing study of this tremendous letter from the Apostle Paul to the Christians at Rome... Chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, though we will not deal with all of these verses in our study this morning. Paul writes, but now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction For all have sinned and come short or fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, that he might be just. And the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but of the law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. If indeed God is one... And he will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. In November of the year 1515, a professor of theology at the University of Wittenberg by the name of Martin Luther began to study Paul's letter to the Romans. He did it because he was preparing to teach this to his students at the university. But first, and Martin Luther never realized this at first, God had to teach it to him. Martin Luther thought that he would stand up and teach God's word. And yet God began to really teach this professor what the message of Romans was all about. God did change his thinking. As he studied this letter, a great change came over his understanding of the letter. And in his own words, he explained his change in thinking this way. He says, I grasped. The truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy, he justifies us by faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, now it became unto me inexpressibly sweet in greater love. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway to heaven. Now, when I read that this week, I thought, that's interesting. That expression, gateway to heaven, arrested my attention. And why did it do that? Because our study of Romans up to this point hasn't opened any gates to heaven. In fact, just the opposite is true. If you followed with us through Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, you've seen that Paul has told us Not that the door to heaven is open, but that the door to heaven is shut. It is closed because man is sinful. Both Gentiles and Jews are barred from heaven because they are under the dominion of sin, Paul says. They are under the condemnation of God. They are under the wrath of God. As a prosecuting attorney, the Apostle Paul has charged the world of Jews and Gentiles, pagans and and self-righteous hypocrites... He has charged them with being sinful. And then he's proceeded to prove his case. Not only has he said, look, the world is sinful, but the Apostle Paul has put the world on trial. And he has proven systematically, logically, reasonably, scripturally that through the testimony of all these things, history, logic, and scripture, he has proven that the world is sinful. And his conclusion is found in verse 19. And we looked at this last week. Paul says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And what does the law say? That every mouth may be closed and that all the world may become accountable or guilty before God. What Paul is saying is this. Don't think that the law can save you. The law just closes your mouth. Don't think that the the Old Testament revelation of God will save you just by reading it and by trying to observe rules. He says the point to the Old Testament and the law of God is that when you read it, you'll see your sin as God sees it and it'll be revealed to you how sinful you are and your mouth will be closed. No defense before God. That's why verse 20 says, Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. Why not? Why not? Well, Paul says, verse 20, For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Just as a mirror, as I said last week, can comb your hair, it just reveals what your hair looks like. So the law can save you, it simply reveals what you are in God's sight. That's Paul's conclusion. And when God speaks, the world is silenced. The world is silenced. The word of God proves that all are sinners, and it takes the boasting out of man. That's what, that's what Paul means when he says the world is silenced. doesn't mean that we have nothing to say. It means we stop saying, but God, I did this. And God says, keep quiet. But God, I lived a good life. Keep quiet. Look at the law. When the law speaks, and Paul has just gone through a whole passage saying there's none righteous, no, not one. And he has explained the sinfulness of man from God's standpoint. When man grasps that, he just shuts up. He has nothing to say. He can't brag about how good he is when God says there's none good, no, not one. And not only is the door shut to heaven, but man's mouth, as we said, is shut before God so that he recognizes he can't even speak a word in his defense. He can't even say a word. He's guilty and he deserves the judgment of God. So the question is, why then did Martin Luther see Paul's letter as a gateway to heaven? Well, the answer is he must have read after Romans chapter 3, verse 20. He must have read verses 21 through 31 and understood what its message really was. Because it's here that the gate swings wide open and we're given glorious truths that can lead one to being right with God. You see, Paul up to this point is proving that man is unrighteous. Why? So man will see his need for righteousness. If a person thinks that they've got their act together spiritually... They don't need the righteousness of God, they think. So Paul has proven that man is in need of righteousness. Now he's going to explain how righteousness is given to a person, how it is provided by God. And the gate to heaven swings open upon two very ordinary hinges. Two words. Those are the hinges that the gate swings open on. Look at verse 21. But now. I want you just to look at that. But now. Paul says, but now, now we may say, those are just two common words. How could you build anything on that, Steve? Well, listen, these words are the most welcomed words in the entire epistle to the Romans. They are the most welcome, joyful words that you have read up to this point, because they tell us that something has changed. But now, but now what? Listen, God up to this point has man backed into a corner. Do you realize that? Man is backed into a corner without any way of getting out by his own efforts. All hope is gone. He is doomed because the law has has shown him how rotten he really is. In spite of the fact that people still think they are righteous before God, God has shown by His Word they are rotten. You see, the trial is over. The verdict is in. And we would expect the judge to summons the executioner, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that at all. Instead, you know what he does? He says, but now. And then he goes on to show mercy and grace. With these words, but now, comes relief and hope. Because Paul uses these two words to introduce to us God's remedy to save man. God's remedy to man's problem, which is what? The condemnation that he's under. In other words, what Paul is saying with these words, but now. And we can't emphasize that enough. But now. He's saying for thousands of years, man's sin problem has plagued him. He hasn't found a way to effectively deal with it. But now, at this present strategic, crucial time in redemptive history, God has clearly revealed his answer to man's unrighteousness. That's what he means by but now. But now, at this present time, something has changed. There's hope. And the answer is found in the hope being that God has provided man with something he lacks. Righteousness. Divine righteousness. Man can't get to heaven by his own righteousness. Why? Because he's not righteous. So God has provided another way for man. He's provided another righteousness for man. What righteousness is that? The very righteousness of God himself. Do you want to know how to get to heaven? Do you want to know how to be right with God? It's found in these verses. There are people who go to sleep at night struggling with guilt. There are people who they don't even have to go to sleep and they struggle with guilt. They, they think about it and they're plagued by it and they don't know what to do with their guilt. They know that things are not right. They know that, that, that if they were to die tonight, they would not go to heaven. They know that something is drastically wrong, but they don't know the remedy to their problem. Well, these verses tell us the remedy. Because these truths that Paul lays out for us in the next few verses is going to tell us how God deals with the problem. And what Paul does, he unfolds to us truths about God's provision of righteousness. And we're going to see uh, the unfolded truth about God's righteousness. How it's attained. Who can have it? How do you get it? The unfolding five truths that Paul unfolds to us about the righteousness of God. And we need to know these truths in order to be saved, in order to stand faultless before the Lord, in order to have a relationship with Him, in order to be delivered from the plight of sin. Now, before we look at these verses, I want to say that I believe that the end of Romans chapter 3 is the most important part in the entire Bible. It's not the hardest to understand, but it is the most important part of the entire Bible. I say that without any fear of contradiction, because an understanding of these verses will give you an understanding and a comprehension of the entire Bible, because these verses make up the heart of the gospel. If you want to know what the gospel is all about, it's, it's found in these verses, Romans chapter 3, specifically verses 21 through 31. It is found in these verses, the heart of the gospel, for it tells us how God can make an unworthy Unrighteous individual like me, like you. Righteous in his sight. Now listen, without violating his own righteousness. God has a plan whereby unrighteous man can become righteous in his sight and it doesn't violate God's righteousness. If it violated God, God's righteousness, it could not be God's plan. How does God do it? Now first of all, let's, let's define what we mean by the righteousness of God. Basically we mean it is that state of being right. With God. It is conformity to his standards in God's sight. Dr. J. Vernon McGee, Dr. McGee in his commentary on Romans, quotes a number of men to explain and define what God's righteousness means. And this is what he says. He quotes one man as saying this Under law, God required righteousness from man, under grace, he gives righteousness to man. The righteousness of God is that righteousness which God's righteousness requires him to require. Now that's deep, but that's accurate. The righteousness of God is that righteousness which God's righteousness requires him to require. Another quote, Charles Hodge, who is a well-known uh, theologian of another generation, says it's this, that righteousness of of uh, which God is the author, which is of a veil before Him, which meets and secures His approval. Another writer says this, it's that righteousness which the Father required, the Son became, and the Holy Spirit convinces us of, and faith secures. I like the last one as the best. It is the sum total of all that God commands, demands, and approves, and Himself provides. All that God commands, demands, approves, and himself provides. It is that righteousness that we don't have. It is what God requires for a man to, and, and, or a woman to stand before him for all of eternity. That is the righteousness of God. It's being right with God. Conformity to what God has said. And the question is, is, is how can God do it? That's the subject of the verses before us, as the truths about God's righteousness are unfolded. So let's look at it. We're going to see five truths. I I hope we'll see how how far time permits us to go. But first of all, Paul says righteousness is apart from the law. It is apart from the law, or probably a better way of saying it is apart from law. Not just the Old Testament law, but law. Law in general. Look at verse 21. But now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. But now, apart from the law, the first thing Paul wants us to know is that God's righteousness isn't obtained by keeping any legal code. That's basic, but that is so profound and so and so significant. In other words, it has nothing to do with our behavior. The, this righteousness comes to us apart from anything we do. Apart from from human obedience to any system of rules. Romans 3.28 confirms this. For we maintain, Paul says, that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Romans 4.6 confirms this. Just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Why? Lest anyone should boast. Titus, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes, But when the kindness of God appeared, God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy. God saves a person apart from law. Righteousness is apart from law. Why is that? Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 and 11 says this, For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. If you want to put yourself under law, you're under a curse. Why? For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. If you want to put yourself under law and try to get to heaven by by doing the law, Paul says you're under a curse. Why? Because the law demanded perfect obedience. And nobody has perfectly obeyed. Verse 11 of Galatians 3 says, Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. He's saying the same thing. That righteousness is apart from the law. The law demands perfect obedience. And it states that it must punish disobedience. Righteousness doesn't come by keeping the law because all the law does is reveal to you how unrighteous you really are. man came to the Lord Jesus one day and said, what's the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? You know what the Lord Jesus said? And I paraphrase Love God with everything that's in you. Love him all the time with all your heart, your soul, your might, your strength. The second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Second greatest commandment. Do you know anybody who loves God like that? I don't. I don't. And yet there are some people who do not think that they've broken the law. Jesus said the law hangs upon this one commandment. Love God with everything you've got. I have a friend who, uh, a number of years ago, came to know the Lord as a Savior. His wife was from a religious background, from a uh, denominational background, and she refused to believe that she was a sinner. But the one thing that he was able to, to use with her, that the Lord used to convince her of her need for righteousness, was that very commandment. She could not admit that she loved God with everything that was in her. And that is the greatest commandment. If you think you've kept everything else, which you haven't, and you haven't kept that, which you haven't, and neither have I, then you haven't kept the commandments. Even though God is very clear in His Word that righteousness is apart from the law, there are scores of people who refuse to believe this. They go through life trying to get right with God by going to church, joining a church, Being kind to others, denying themselves, refraining from certain behavior. You know, the attitude says, if I just stop this and I don't do this, then God will accept me or I get close to God or I get right with God. But true divine righteousness is apart from anything that we do. That is very clear. I don't know how the word of God can make it any clearer than this. The Apostle Paul, before he came to know Christ as his Savior, thought that he could get to to heaven by his own righteousness. He says in Philippians chapter 3, he did all these things. He had everything going for him, but he said, it's nothing. I've exchanged that kind of righteousness, which is no righteousness, for the righteousness which is by faith in Christ. You know why some people think that, uh, that righteousness comes by things that they do? Even people who have, may have heard these messages in Romans, and we've been hitting home on this hard, I'm convinced the reason that some people refuse to believe that righteousness comes uh, apart from law is because they really don't know how sinful they are. They just don't know the depths of that sin. They haven't had as yet their mouths silenced, as, as Paul says. They think they're good enough to get to heaven, and I... I think that part of it is the American pioneering spirit. Not that this is limited to America, but that pioneering spirit which says basically this, we forged our way out west, we've come from another country, and our, our heritage is back in the old land, and we came here and we made a new land and a new life for ourselves through what? Strong determination and effort. And that's how we face everything in life, even heaven. It's the philosophy which says God helps those who help themselves. But that is contrary to the Scriptures. That is absolutely contrary to the Scriptures. Because Paul is saying in verse 21 that God gives righteousness to those who know they can't get it themselves. In other words, God helps those who can't help themselves and will admit it. That's what the Bible says
2: we have a tendency in our culture to elevate people who persevere and succeed in seemingly impossible situations. Those people are indeed inspiring, but to ignore the gift God offers as we continue in a futile effort to attain righteousness on our own is both tragic and foolish. But King David said, and Paul quoted him in the next chapter of Romans, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered you have been listening to verse by verse with pastor teacher steve kreloff pastor steve has been the teaching pastor for over 26 years at lakeside community chapel in clearwater florida these radio adaptations of his messages are produced by verse by verse ministries they are made possible by the prayers and gifts of listeners like you today's class was the start of a three-part message If you would like to hear the entire message at once, you can order a CD or cassette by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. You can find us on the Internet at versebyverseradio.org. While you're there, you can listen to or download today's lesson as well as many previous lessons. We also offer a free podcasting service and a complimentary newsletter. The podcast is a great way to make sure that you don't miss a class or to have all of them available to review or share with friends. That's versebyverseradio.org. As you have heard, we are saved by faith in Christ. What is involved in that kind of faith that would save us from our sins? The demons believe in Jesus, but they are obviously not saved. Join us for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve considers what it is that constitutes saving faith.
0: Encouraging you in Christ. Every other religion says, listen, you've got to be good enough, work enough, sweat enough. Christianity says you don't have to do any of that. You come to me. It is my life lived through you. Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBN